Lead to Win is brought to you by Leaderbox, a monthly reading experience curated by leaders for leaders. Learn more at leaderbox.com. You're driving down the highway when you hear a familiar sound. You glance at the dashboard and see that the low-level fuel light is on. But it's almost 8 o'clock, and you're still 15 miles from work. What do you do? You can probably make it that far without running out of gas, so you might be tempted to keep going. But what if it were 20 miles? Or 25? Or maybe even 30? How far would you drive on empty? For most of us, we think we can go about 40 miles. That's according to a recent study by the Liverpool Victoria Insurance Company. The study was commissioned after a sharp increase in the number of drivers who ran out of gas. Nearly a million motorists in the UK ignored the low fuel light and got stranded. One reason was that they overestimated how far they could drive on empty. And some were too concerned about being late or spending too much on gas. More than half of the drivers reported passing up a gas station trying to find a lower price. More than two-thirds said they'd never fill their tank up all the way, and two million motorists admitted that their low fuel light is on nearly all the time. It seems most drivers are more worried about being late for work than running out of gas. But running out of gas can be expensive. Besides making you walk to the nearest exit, it can damage your car's fuel pump, which means a costly repair. And all of this begs an obvious question. What is your most important resource? Time? or fuel. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. And in this episode, we'll talk about the time-energy paradox. When it comes to managing ourselves, most people have the same mindset as those stranded motorists. They keep an eye on the clock, but completely ignore their most valuable asset. And today, I'll reveal three secrets for managing your most important productivity resource, your energy. Also in this episode, we'll hear from sleep expert Sean Stevenson on the value of sleep and from our own Danielle Rogers on the connection between meditation and energy. And later on, we'll share our own personal systems for matching our best energy to our most important work each day. This is the second of three episodes on productivity, so if you missed last week's episode on the high cost of overwork, be sure to check that out. This week, we're talking about the time-energy paradox, so Dad, exactly what is that? Well, it's this. Time is fixed, but energy flexes. And I think it's easy to get this wrong, Mm -hmm. and for years, early in my career, I went to all kinds of time management seminars. I listened to an entire series of cassette tapes. You, you're too young to re- remember those, but... I do remember those, <laughs> actually. <laughs> but uh, a whole series on time management that I got from Nightingale Conant. And everything was about time management, time management, time management. Mm-hmm. But I discovered it really wasn't about time management at all. It was really about managing your energy. And the reason is the time is fixed, right? You have 168 right. hours in the week, 60 minutes to the hour, but energy can come and go. I mean, mm-hmm. there's times when, you know, you wake up energized, times when you wake up groggy, times when after lunch you've got some energy, times when you might be groggy. But our but our energy uh, fluctuates during the day. And I think to be aware of those two things, and, and oh, by the way, when you're energetic, you know, when you're fully focused and you're feeling really productive and high energy, you can accomplish so much more. So it doesn't have to do with managing the time. 
it has to do with managing energy. Mm-hmm. The more energetic you feel, the more productive you're going to be. That makes sense. So why do you think time management is thought of as a science, but not really energy management? Well, I think it's kind of coming into its own more and more. Mm-hmm. I remember reading a book um, several years ago called The Power of Full Engagement. Yeah. And it was really putting forth this idea that it's about energy management. I've heard Tim Ferriss talk about it. I've heard some other people talk about it. So I think there's more and more science that's building around this. Yeah. Because I think time management sort of feels old school to most people anyway. Yeah. No, you know, nobody wants to to live in that kind of highly structured life. And if you think about it, you know, we're not machines. And that whole time management thing really comes out of the world of efficiency studies and the real focus on productivity is using every second. Well, there are times when we just need to lay back and and not be so productive mm-hmm. in order that we can be more productive on those times when we really want to focus and and be zoned in on efficiency and effectiveness. Well, and if you're a machine, your energy doesn't ebb and flow. That's I mean, right. That's the whole point of having a machine is consistency. But humans are not like that at all. And I think thinking about energy management is really a much more holistic and profoundly humanizing way to think of um, you know, time management or just management of the things that you're trying to accomplish in your life when you take into account a, a more whole person view of it. Well, I think... If, if you look at the, the time of industrialization and, you know, machines and mass production and all that, there was this fascination with machines. Mm-hmm. And so if we could just reduce people right. to sort of that efficiency of a machine, the whole system would be more productive. Mm-hmm. But it didn't take into account the fact that we're, we're not machines. Right. You know, we're humans and we've got our own issues that we have to deal with, our own psychology, our own emotions, and as it turns out, our own energy level. Absolutely. You know, I love this quote by Oprah Winfrey because it reminds me of what we can do uh, to manage our own energy. She says, you're responsible for the energy that you create for yourself and you're responsible for the energy that you bring to others. I love that. I do too. And I've heard somebody say this and I can't remember who it was. It might've been Brendan Burchard, but he asked the question, are you a thermometer or a thermostat? Huh. You know, in other words, do you just kind of reflect the energy around you or do you cause the temperature, cause the energy in this case? And I think that once we realize that we're in in essence, we we can manufacture our own energy, we take responsibility for it. It's not Mm -hmm. up to somebody else to motivate me or to make me energetic. That's me. And a lot of it is super practical, which we're going to get into in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's about, you know, how much rest we're getting. It's about the foods we consume and all that. But I don't want to steal our thunder from later in the show. So speaking of that, you're going to talk about your three top secrets for improving productivity by managing your energy. Yeah. So secret number one is don't sacrifice sleep for work. Man, this is a big one. It's a it's a huge big one. And and most of us think that we can do this kind of on an exception basis. Like, yeah. okay, like, look, I know I normally need seven or eight hours of sleep, but tonight I got to power through because I got a big project due tomorrow. I was tempted to do it this week. Because I was trying to get a project that we're doing to the printer, Mm -hmm. and it had to be there because we've got team training scheduled for tomorrow. Uh Wow. Yeah, tomorrow. And so I thought, I've got to power through this to get it done. And yeah, the problem is that could become a pattern. Right. And the exception becomes the rule, Mm -hmm. and then we develop a lifestyle around it. But as I said, you can't sacrifice sleep for work because rest is the primary driver of mental and physical energy. I feel like if you, by the way, are listening to this and you don't take anything else but this away from this podcast, this is the most valuable thing, if you're not doing it already, that you can implement in your life is getting enough sleep. 
Totally. The more tired I am, the dumber I get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The more tired I Me am, too. the less productive I get. Right. The more I have to do things over and over again. Mm-hmm. But get this, according to the research, 40% of people don't get enough sleep. Mm-hmm. How many of you can say amen to that? <laughs> Americans average 6.8 hours of sleep, and that's down more than an hour since 1942. Wow. Experts recommend seven to nine hours per night. How much do you sleep a night? Um, I probably sleep around eight hours, maybe seven and a half. But what's interesting is elite athletes, people who are seriously concerned with performance, sleep a lot more than that, like 10, 12 plus even, which is just hard to imagine. I mean, that's like a part-time job, you know, just sleeping. And it's interesting to contrast that with what so many of us do. I'm like you, though. I typically get seven and a half, occasionally eight one night last week, I slept nine hours, which mm-hmm. was really unusual. But the difference in the way I feel... Oh, my gosh. It's unbelievable. You know, a good night's sleep cures a lot of problems. It does. Right? You know, you can have a, a bad attitude. You can be discouraged. You can feel like you're behind. You can feel overwhelmed. Good night's sleep, bam, feel fantastic. Yep. <laughs> right? So medical studies relate lack of sleep to cognitive impairment, things mm-hmm. like accidents, Memory loss. I mean, how often have you sat there and tried to remember something and you just go, I'm just too tired. I can't remember this. Yep. Mood changes, trouble concentrating, difficulty making decision. So trying to go without sleep in order to work more makes you actually less productive. Well, and it's even worse than that because if you're a leader and your team and your company are depending on you for your decision-making ability and your decision-making is impaired because you're not sleeping enough... I mean, the consequences can be catastrophic. Can and if be. you do that chronically, your ability to make good decisions, which really, if you boil down leadership, is you know one of the primary functions of it, uh, is, is in a really tricky, risky place. By the way, this makes you wonder why in medical programs, like in residency programams, mm-hmm. they have people working like you know 24-hour shifts. Mm-hmm. I want to get the doctor at the beginning of the shift, right? not the end. Right. I mean, this is crazy. Well, in fact, there's research that says if you're the patient who, uh, I read this in a a book by Daniel Pink that I think we'll reference later, but if you're the patient at 2 p.m. or after in the afternoon, the likelihood of medical accidents or errors is exponentially greater than in the morning. Because of fatigue. Because of fatigue. Well, I know my decision-making ability after lunch is much worse than it is first thing in the morning. So recently we chatted with our friend Sean Stevenson on the importance of sleep for your physical and mental energy. Listen to what he has to say. More than ever today, people are starting to realize just how much our sleep quality impacts our mental performance. Now, there was a study that was published in The Lancet recently, and this was a physician study. They actually were studying physicians, and they had them to come in and complete a task. And after they completed the task, they monitored their results. Then they sleep deprived them for just 24 hours, which is known as a short sleep debt. And it's very common in that field. They had them come back and do the same thing again, again, exactly the same task. Now, here's the rub. Being sleep deprived caused them to make 20% more mistakes, right? 20% more mistakes doing the same exact thing. And it also caused them to take 14% longer doing the same exact thing. Now, this gets into the crux of the situation where we start to see ourselves mistaking doing work for actually being effective. We want to be effective so that we can really optimize our time, get the most value creation possible in the time that we're actually working. We're not having to go back and clean up the mess that we're making, all right? And that really requires us to have an optimized brain. 
And so another big part of this, and so what's going on behind the scenes, I always like to analyze that. This has to do with literally energy reaching your brain. And so if we look at scans, uh, brain scans done from uni the University of California, Berkeley, and they took brain imaging scans of somebody who was uh, well-rested and then sleep deprived, again, just a short sleep debt. And they found that there was a dramatic suppression of activity in the prefrontal cortex, right? That part of, that part of the brain started to go, quote, cold. And this is the part of your brain responsible for your executive functions, all right? So for decision-making, for distinguishing between right and wrong, for social control, all right? That part of your brain starts to shut down with just a short amount of sleep debt. And here's what also happened. They found that there was a heightened activity, excessively heightened activity in the part of the brain known as the amygdala, all right? This is the more kind of primitive, fight or flight, only concerned about survival part of our brain. All right, and that part of the brain was lit up. And we have a tendency to make not the best decisions when we're tired. But most of the time, because of stimulants, because of you know just ignoring uh, the fact that we are tired and that we need to get good sleep, we just keep pushing through, right? And making terrible mistakes, saying the wrong thing, sending that email we might not have sent and regretting later because that part of our brain is literally shut down that says, hey, wait a minute, you need to think about this, all right? So I just want everybody to kind of keep that in mind and, and keep that in context as we move forward in growing our businesses, growing our relationships and our family, our health and fitness. It's a lot harder to do those things and to optimize all of those areas if we're sleep deprived. And so that's why this matters. And in our culture today, where it's just, you know, these taglines of sleep is for suckers, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. No, you'll just be dead, all right? We actually need to optimize our sleep now so that we can live better, so we can live more and get the most juice out of the time that we actually have. Secret number two is to fuel your body with whole foods. Mm -hmm. Now, you and I had a discussion before we got in the air today that there are no good foods or bad foods because if you try to restrict yourself and stay away from certain foods, that tends to make you psychologically crave those foods, right? which actually works against you. It does. So we're not talking about good foods and bad foods. We're talking about being strategic mm -hmm. with fueling our energy so that when we want to, we can perform at our maximum energetic level. Mm -hmm. So there are times what I'm going to suggest is that there are certain foods that are not that helpful yeah. for energy, right? but even I indulge in those kinds of foods from time to time. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that's not that helpful for energy management is anything related to high glycemic carbs. Mm -hmm. So that would be things like pasta, uh, white bread, uh, certain kinds of fruit even, like bananas. Mm -hmm. You know, those are things that are going to give you instant energy, but it's the kind of energy that fizzles out very quickly. Right. And so then you set yourself up for a slump or a trough. Mm -hmm. It's actually worse than when you began. So again, I, I like pizza occasionally, you know, I'll eat a sandwich occasionally or pasta, but I typically don't eat it when I want to be productive. And so for lunch, I stay away from those kinds of foods. Right. So other kinds of foods that are not that helpful, soda, candy bar, chocolate, coffee, energy drinks. Energy drinks are the worst because you think that I'm going to take this, I'm going to have a lot of energy because that's how it's advertised. That's how it mar is marketed to us. But yeah, you're going to get a boost for about 20 or 30 minutes mm -hmm. and then crash. You're really just trying to have a level of energy that is maintained right. and strong enough to keep you going. And so if you spike it um, or, you know, the, the other part of this is if you don't 
eat at all, like if you skip lunch, that's a big problem. Huge You know, problem. because you really end up with the same issue, but it's caused by something different where you're underfeeding yourself and, you know, you're at some point you just run out of gas. Well, it's like that false economy of thinking, look, I don't have time to stop and eat lunch, so I'm right. just going kind to of, kind of power through my work here yeah. at my desk and not eat. Not a good idea. I mean, it's like right. trying to power through without stopping at the gas station, yep. like we were talking about in the opener. Mm-hmm. Same kind of logic applies here. But what we want is regular refueling. Mm-hmm. So eating a breakfast, eating a lunch, eating a dinner, and even in between, kind of strategic snacking right. on healthy snacks can keep our uh, blood sugar level uh, level and keep us productive all day long. Yeah. I try to keep some snacks in my office that I feel like, you know, would fit the bill, things that I really enjoy, but that also help to maintain my energy during the afternoon. And uh, what would some of those be? Well, you know, things like uh, popcorn, which has a lot of fiber in it and coconut oil, which helps to kind of level out that blood sugar, uh, beef jerky, um, you know, just things like that, little little things that are shelf stable so that I don't have to refrigerate them. They can just be right near my desk, but hmm. they give me a little kick of protein, um, you know, some nuts, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I tend to do uh, nuts. Pistachios are my favorite. <laughs> Almonds too. But then I'll also have things like celery sticks or carrots. Unfortunately, those have to be refrigerated, so right. I have to go into the refrigerator to get them. But that's also a helpful break yes. to get away from my desk and take a short walk, get the stuff out of the refrigerator. And maybe even some almond butter on it, Mm -hmm. you know, just a snack in between meals. Well, and the truth is that's one of the ways that you can help if you're a chronic uh, meal skipper to keep things in your office that could make up a meal. You know, you could get enough calories and enough energy out of what you're eating. You can have those things in your office like almond butter, uh, nuts, jerky, whatever it, you know, might be that you enjoy, but have those things on hand so that there's never the excuse of, I just don't have time to leave the office to go get something. Right. Can work really well. All right. So strategic nutrition is one part, a really important part of managing your energy, but there's another secret that you want to share with us that's equally important. Yeah. This is number three, conserve mental energy by making fewer decisions. This is so huge. Well, get this. First of all, we all know that too many decisions sap our mental energy, but I saw this statistic recently. I think this was a Cornell University study. We make some 35,000 decisions each day. Most of those we're not even conscious of. 35,000 decisions a day. So 226 decisions on food alone. Oh, my gosh. So what, when, where, with whom, how much, how many? I mean, your mom and I, when we're talking about which restaurant to go to. Right. That's probably 40 decisions right there. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and this is a really big challenge for leaders, decision fatigue. I know that I experience this sometimes myself. In fact, it happened to me recently. Uh, We were planning our big team retreat that we just did uh, a few weeks back. And it's a a big event for us. We do it once a year. We take our whole team away to celebrate. And so we were trying to decide, our uh, team was trying to decide on table seating, how we were going to arrange tables (laughs) to facilitate great conversation. Another 50 decisions right there. I mean, at least, I don't know what the combination, number of combinations there could be between 30 people, but it's crazy. Anyway, and, and somehow I got brought into that conversation at some point. I was like, what am I doing? Why am I in this conversation? I have people in this room right now who are much more qualified than I am to make these decisions. And it was a day that we were leading a workshop and it was kind of like over lunch or something. And I thought, this is going to drain 
energy that I need to be giving to our clients that someone else is far better equipped to make. And I think as leaders, it's critical that we're wise to that and that we're very, very, very discriminating about what decisions we allow ourselves to make and that we challenge ourselves constantly to delegate um, anything that's not essential for us to do to our team. Well, you know, if I could modify a Dawson Trotman quote that I often make, it would be like this. Never make any decision that others can or will make mm-hmm. when there's so much to decide that only you can make. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So just focus on the things where you add value. Like I, I'm on this uh, board of a school, mm-hmm. and we had an issue with some students a couple weeks ago. And there were like 30 emails that were flying back and forth. And then uh, the president of the, of the school wanted to have a meeting to decide what to do about this. And I thought, three people just need to get on the phone for about two minutes and decide this. Right. And one of them doesn't need to be me. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to contribute here. And so I just remove myself from the conversation. It's funny because when you're a young or inexperienced leader, you often try to hoard decision-making, you right. know, because it makes you feel powerful. It makes you feel like you have influence and all that. But if you're not careful as you mature in your career to transition and to, to intentionally delegate, you'll still be in that trap, except they exponentially multiply over time. And all of a sudden, you have all these people who are dependent upon you as a chief decision maker for everything from what kind of coffee do we buy to, you know, are we going to acquire that company? And it's just crushing. It's not sustainable. It is. And you train people to do that. You do. Like if you're second guessing their decisions, you just, you don't need to have a preference on everything for starters. Yes. That's a key point. Say more about that. That's right. Well, I just, I just think that like, for example, uh, the furniture for our new office. Mm -hmm. So you have completely picked that out. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what you bought. Right. And I don't care. I don't even remember what I bought at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know it's going to be awesome, but I I just don't care. Paint colors, all that kind of stuff. It's just somebody needs to make that decision. But here's another reason. The further you move up the food chain, so to speak, the more leadership responsibility you get, Mm -hmm. the more you're going to get difficult decisions. The decisions that can't be solved below you suddenly get pushed up to you. So you need all your brain power, all Mm -hmm. your emotional strength to focus on those few big, thorny, complex decisions that only you can sort through. Absolutely. And you don't need to be dealing with all the trivial stuff that that comes at you. Now, here's what's interesting. Um, According to a Columbia University study, when we have too many choices, it actually makes us less effective at (laughs) decision-making. Yeah, because you've only got so much decision-making energy. Right. And successful people protect their brain power by reducing their decisions. Now, I've not quite gone where I'm going to suggest here, (laughs) but Mark Zuckerberg... And Steve Jobs both wore the same outfit every day. My friend, I think I can tell this because he's told me and I think he's said it on social media, but David Molnar, Mm -hmm. who's a photographer friend of ours, um, he has like 14 or 15 of the same exact V-neck t-shirts and that's what he wears every single day. At least it's not a mock turtle. So way way to go on that, David. (laughs) I like the mock turtles. (laughs) I like that you're pushing us into the future with that t-shirt style. (laughs) So Danielle Rogers, who is our HR manager, recently talked to us about the value of meditation in conserving mental energy. I've really found that mindfulness and taking the opportunity to be able to meditate is really a great gift that I can give to myself. I have found that it really is profoundly helpful just to take a few minutes each day 
to do some deep breathing, you know, breathing in deep through my, through my nose, out through my mouth. I found that a lot of times as women, we happen to also be shallow breathers. So it's helpful to release some of the stress and anxiety that builds up in our um, shoulders and neck through sitting at, at work all day, or just from going through the constant reel of, of thoughts of, you know, have I prepared everything that I need to, to um, make sure that my kids are going to be successful at school today? Um, have I lived up to my own expectations when it comes to my own career advancement? How's my husband doing? How is this? How's that? I find that we can oftentimes get lost in our own thoughts that can be self-defeating and mindfulness exercises, meditation just helps to bring me back to a place of being still and remembering that I'm part of a larger picture and a bigger purpose. Um, and I found in doing this, I've been able to identify certain emotions and thoughts that I had going on that I wouldn't have even noticed if I didn't take the time just to pause, to be still, and to meditate. But beyond all of what I've shared so far, I think the biggest thing is just giving myself permission to be imperfect with how I pursue meditation. I'm not looking to, to do it for 20 minutes at a time and, and perfect silence and, and 100% um, zen, whatever, whatever that means for you. But I'm looking to just take some time to myself to deep breathe, to be still, and to be mindful. And that's the best way to start. So, hey, Dad, before we continue on the time energy paradox, you've got something to share about a new free video series that we have, right? Yeah, I'm super excited about this. It's called Your Instant Productivity Makeover, Proven Secrets to Cut Tasks, Reduce Stress, and Reclaim 10 Hours a Week. It's a three-part video series. It's completely free, and it's all about productivity. Yeah. I talked to you about how to dramatically reduce the number of tasks on your task list. And, and listen to this. Most people are playing a game they can't possibly win. Yep. They've got too many tasks on their list. And I talked to you about how to cut those down so that you can really focus on what's important and jettison the rest. Yep. Then in addition to that, I'm talking about things like reducing stress, like managing your email, all the stuff that, that all of us have to contend with that saps our productivity. Mm -hmm. So at any rate, it's free. Again, it's a three-part series. I'm super excited about this. You will learn some really important stuff about productivity, how to take control of the things that matter and keep you from feeling overwhelmed. So again, they're free and you can find out more at, what's the URL? freetofocus.com slash makeover, freetofocus.com slash makeover. That's it. So if you want to make over your productivity, this is a place to go. Okay, Dad. So now we're going to share our own routines for managing energy throughout the day. Yeah, I'm excited about this because I want to hear about your routine. I know what my routine is, and we end up always talking about my routine, but I want to hear what your routine is mm -hmm. because you represent an entire demographic that I no longer represent. So that's <laughs> going to be good. So um, we want to talk about matching your workday to your natural rhythm. Yep. And there's something that we discovered in the New Dan Pink book, When, yep. called chronotypes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the idea behind this is that you're kind of born with this innate sense of energy or rhythm so that some people are more naturally uh, morning types, mm -hmm. right? Some people are more naturally evening types. And some people, in fact, the, the great majority of people are somewhere in the middle. Now, I used to think, I got really moralistic on this <laughs> and got on my high horse about, you know, if you want to be productive, if you want to be successful, you got to be a morning person. But that's not what the research shows. Mm -hmm. Some of the most successful, productive people have been night owls, mm -hmm. right? And so yep. 
we're not trying to to moralize on what should be. We're saying it's worth taking stock of how you function, knowing your own natural rhythms, and instead of, of fighting those, actually working with them. Mm-hmm. Okay? So with that, let's talk about your natural energy. What's your chronotype? So as I remember it, there are larks, which are morning people, owls, which are night people. And then there apparently are the vast majority of us, over 50%, who are called third birds. Now, I'm going to be honest. Dan... <laughs> If you listen to our podcast, I feel like you could have tried a little harder on this one. <laughs> Third bird. I mean, yeah. I would like to be, because this is what I am, I would like to be like a hummingbird or a bluebird or, you know, a eagle. stork or an eagle. Like, there are so many birds to choose from. Penguin? Probably not a penguin. <laughs> no, I don't want to be a penguin. Yeah, but something more than a third bird. I mean, that's right. so abstract and nondescript. I know. Anyway, okay, we digress. Okay. So, Dan, we love you. We do. I, it's a fascinating concept. But the, the idea there is that, you know, you don't function at your best if you wake up super early or go to bed super early or stay up super late and sleep super late, you know? So I think that kind of flies in the face. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> your own amusement is the best part. <laughs> no one would have caught it. <laughs> That is borderline dad humor. It is. is. I totally thought of it and just laughed to myself. All right. So this is really different than the kind of preferential treatment that morning people have uh, enjoyed for a long time. For good reason. Yeah. Well, no. Spoken Um, like a lark. (laughs) Third bird. Get it right. Um, <laughs> no, I'm saying I'm, I'm oh, a lark. Yeah. I'm speaking right. for the larks. That's true. Well, so for me, I normally go to bed between uh, 9.30 and 10, and I wake up between, uh, well, probably around 6. You know, that's probably my ideal time there on a weekend, maybe a little bit later. But the biggest part of my routine is making sure that I get in bed on time. So for me, if I'm in bed and it's later than 10, that's sort of like the domino that tips all the other ones in the, in the coming day. Usually I see that show up in my energy and productivity the next day. So if I get to bed, you know, around that 930, nine o'clock window, which is what I like the best, then I feel like I'm set up for success. Um, another thing is in my morning routine, I have a much more abbreviated morning routine than you do. Um, consists mostly of devotional time, coffee, chatting with Joel, that kind of thing. You know, if, if I have that time, review my calendar, plan my day Again, I'm set up for a good day. I also find that I make really good decisions early in the morning. So Mm. in our workflow as a company, I will often have a list of decisions from my direct reports that they need for me um, that I'm, you know, tend to be kind of the bottleneck on if I don't respond to those quickly. And I like to make those in the morning because... How early? Uh... Probably like six o'clock, six thirty. Yeah, because you know? I see you on Slack that early. Yeah, so I'll kind of finish yeah. up my morning routine, whatever time if I get up five thirty or six, and then I'll go into some decision making before my kids get up. And I really like that because it enables me to not hold people back in our company who need to get mm-hmm. going with their days and are probably waiting on me. Um, but that in- ends up actually mapping to what. Daniel Pink says in his book, which is that the best analytical work when you need to take in a lot of data and make decisions happens in the morning for most people or in that Mm -hmm. morning period, whatever time that is for you based on your chronotype. So I found that to be really true. Um, And I do think my best creative time is in the afternoon, Um, not immediately after lunch, but, you know, probably like one o'clock, you know, to maybe three o'clock. Well, and I can't always do this, but I I try to schedule things based on my chronotype. I was mm-hmm. doing this even before I, I, I read the book just because, you know, I'm old enough to know what my cycle is. Right. And so for me, I'm a lark 
So I'm up first thing in the morning, like I'm up at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. And my most productive time is going to be between, my peak time is going to be 5 a.m. to about noon. Mm-hmm. And then typically I'll eat lunch. And as you know, I always, always, always take a nap. And right. if I don't take a nap, this is my natural trough time. If I don't take a nap, it's really hard for me to get to the recovery. Yep. You know, it prolongs that trough. Uh, otherwise, I can rebound pretty quickly if I take a nap, mm-hmm. and then I can do what he refers to as that creative work—the kind of work where mm-hmm. you're less able to hold off distractions, but a- actually the distractions can help you be more creative. Mm-hmm. So I can do that in the late afternoon. Yep. But yesterday's a good example. I pushed hard to finish this project for our team training, as I mentioned earlier, and then uh, I was spent. I was I was pretty right. much done for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, kind of puttered around, answered some email, yep. did some things that didn't take a lot of uh, energy, kind of administrative work, mm-hmm. which he recommends in the trough, yep. right? And then I kind of had a recovery late in the afternoon and, and was preparing for the podcast and doing some mm-hmm. some of that kind of work. You know, the, the nap thing is something that I'm really interested in. And in fact, today we're um, recording a bunch of podcasts. I'm going to try it because I think Good. it's uh, one of those things that you need as a reboot. If you're, if you're not going to take a break and kind of observe that natural rhythm, you know, which we're not today, like we're we're going to be doing intensive work all day long. Um, you need some way to reboot because otherwise you just, you know, bottom out. Now, I'm going to give you some advice. Okay, good. Okay. I feel like so, you are you have like a PhD in napping. I I do. That should be a thing, right? In your Twitter bio. <laughs> PhD in napping. Right. So here's my advice. People say, well, I, I, I can't get to sleep that fast. Yeah. Like it takes me 20 minutes to get to sleep. Or people say, I can't sleep that short. Mm-hmm. Right. Here's the thing. You get better with practice. If all you do is shut your eyes and just be quiet. Right. For 20 minutes. Yep. It'll still have a rejuvenating effect on you. Mm-hmm. After a while, though, just like meditation, as you learn with more practice, you know, you're know you able to still your mind. Same thing here. With more practice, you'll fall asleep. I literally can fall asleep in less than 60 seconds. Amazing. And I always wake up between 15 and 20 minutes, maybe occasionally 25 minutes, but never longer than that. And you, you just have to practice it. Mm-hmm. So that would be my advice. Another thing I just thought of was the role of exercise that, uh, mm-hmm. in, not just in energy management, but then creativity as a part of productivity. I think you and I have both experienced this. I've been uh, recovering from shoulder surgery and then injury before that for a while. So I've kind of been out of my exercise routine, but that's one of my goals is to get back on that on March the 1st this week. And I'm excited because, um, I missed that time of creativity. I have had so many ideas. In fact, I can almost clock it. About 20 minutes in, I call you with some kind of idea that I've had while, while I'm out walking. Um, Sometimes I park. take the call. Uh, usually you do. Sometimes you're at the gym and we're both exercising at the same time. Um, but that's a great way to maximize that too. So here's the thing I want to say to our listeners. It's worth thinking about your chronotype mm-hmm. and not feeling guilty because those morning people at work make you feel guilty. And I've been guilty of making other people feel guilty. Mm-hmm. So we don't want that. But asking yourself, how can you be more productive by being in touch with the natural rhythms that you gravitate toward anyway? Mm-hmm. And so if you're a morning person, great. But if you're an evening person, embrace it. You right. have a sister that's a night person, a yeah. night owl, and she's very productive. All right. So today we've talked about the time energy paradox and discovered that you can make the greatest productivity gains by managing your energy rather than just your time. As we come in for a landing, I just want to remind you that you have the power to increase and manage your most valuable asset, your energy. Dad, do you have any final thoughts for today? Yeah, I think energy is one of those things that's caused, not simply 
passively experienced. Mm -hmm. So you can cause a greater sense of energy. Part of it's through strategic management of rest and food and the things we've been talking about. But a lot of it is also just deciding that you have more energy. And I think the mental game is something we didn't talk a lot about, Mm -hmm. but it's a really important aspect. If you walk around saying to yourself all the time, I'm so tired, I'm so exhausted, you guess what? You're going to be you're going to be tired and exhausted. Mm-hmm. So be very careful about your self-talk. That's a component that we didn't discuss that's very important. Totally agree. As we close, I want to thank our sponsor Leaderbox. It provides automated personal development in a box. Check it out at leaderbox.com. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, you can get the show notes and a full transcript online at lead2.win. Hey, thanks again for joining us on Lead to Win. If you like the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about it. Also, please leave a review of the show wherever you listen to podcasts. This program is copyrighted by Michael Hyatt and Company, all rights reserved. Our producer is Nick Jaworski. Our writers are Joe Miller, Lawrence Wilson, Mandy Raviccio, and Jeremy Lott. Our recording engineer is Mike Burns. Our production assistant is Alicia Curry. Our intern is Winston. We invite you guys to join us for our next episode, where we'll be discussing the productivity investments that pay for themselves. And until then, lead to win.